jarring mix of themes old and more recent tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast where three lifelong grumpy middle-aged Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise the televised, novelised and audio adventures of our favourite time-travelling hero. Welcome to another episode and to honour the tradition of fans obsessing about the unimportant minutiae of of the of the show we're going to talk about a couple of aspects of the show which have absolutely no importance to the narrative at all we're going to be looking at the theme tune through the years uh, all the way from 63 up to, uh, to to recent and also the title sequences over that same period before we do that i'll introduce you to my two co-conspirators say hello kenny hello kenny David, show some, show, some, show some adult sensibilities here. Hello, Tom. It's, it's, nice, it's nice to hear you. I'm glad that Kenny could join us today. Yes, Kenny. You, 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 you owe our, our adoring fans a, a, an apology, an Aldi-related apology, don't you? Well, quite frankly, Tom, I think the one who should be apologising should be you, given that Dave and I have been available all week and you've been off doing real-world stuff. So quite frankly, this is all on you, not us. That, that is absolutely true. Um, the, the, this this week-long nonsense started with uh, me and Davey all ready to record a new episode and Kenny sheepishly texting us to say that he was in Aldi and had forgotten all about it. And then there followed seven days of me prevaricating and explaining that I actually had proper work to do. But we're here now. So well, it's, that's what matters. Hooray! And- to prove it, ta-da. <laughs> to prove it, ta-da. Yeah, ta-da. Ta-da, today. today. <laughs> oh, I see. Right, very well. Very good, good. Oh, Tom, before we start, eagle-eared yeah. listeners will, of course, have noticed that last time we missed out on a great joke from me. We've never had so a great I joke I'd get... <laughs> So I thought I'd better share you now this right. great joke. Which oh, yeah. Doctor Who story has the sexiest underwear? I don't know, Kenny. Which Doctor Who story has the... Best underwear, is that the question? The sexiest. Sexiest. Okay, tell us. The Basque of Mandragora. (laughs) Oh, God, no. I really wish you'd gone to Aldi today, Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) That's just creepy. Yeah, it is a bit. Aldi's Um, not creepy. Aldi's lovely. No, I didn't say Aldi was creepy. Anyway, Anyway. moving onwards. Give us your thoughts. I mean, when when the show started in 63... I mean, the theme tune was creepy as hell, wasn't it? I mean, that must have sent a few youngsters scurrying behind the sofa right from the very start. Definitely. You think, I mean, you can consider that, um, I think my, the earliest versions of the Doctor Who theme that I heard on records were cover versions, the likes of Eric Winston in his orchestra, but none of them could ever get it right. And it's because, obviously, with Delia Derbyshire, having made the theme tune from random sounds and oscillations and then edited it all together by hand to create something that was completely unheard of and different in British television today. And even now, there's absolutely nothing to match that original version. Talking of, uh, of, of rubbish versions of it, when I was, I think, 11, 
my mum took me to Glasgow and said, you can have five crisp pound notes to spend on anything you want. And I spent the whole day in Glasgow, which was about 20 miles from where the town where I lived. I spent the whole day searching for the official BBC single of the Doctor Who theme. And I could not find it. But then I found something that was even better than that. I found a Jeff Love album <laughs> of science fiction themes, which... I know the one. Yeah, I know that. I've it, got it had John Pertwee on the cover. I must look for it. Maybe one of these days, actually. John Pertwee on the cover, who was my favourite Doctor, who was, I think, still the Doctor at the time. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. it just changed to Tom Baker. And um, it had Space 1999 and Thunderbirds and, you know, Star Trek. It was brilliant. So I thought I took that home. I was so excited. And I took it up to my room and I put it on the record player. And I was, I think, probably literally in tears <laughs> with disappointment. Oh, because it was just bloody awful. It was oh, yep. just so disappointing. The Thunderbirds was brilliant. I think I've got that album on cassette. I think I've got a memory of getting something very. I think I've still got it somewhere. I'll see if I can find it and post it on the socials. Um, it was it was one of the music for pleasure branded cassettes, an hour of super themes, and it had like you know someone who looked a bit like Luke Skywalker on the cover. And something that looked a bit like the Liberator from Blake Seven. Yeah. Something, something that looked a little bit like the TARDIS. And it was kind of, I remember it was quite a kind of slow orchestral version of UFO with no Hammond organ, but the, and the Doctor Who one was kind of similarly lush. Yeah. But yeah, Thunderbird's very accurate. Aye. It's an interesting thing about, about the theme music. It's like, because the tune is just like, you know, the tune's brilliant, let's be honest. Yeah, I think, absolutely. There's always something interesting about you know cover versions and hearing different mixes and versions of it. There's always that little bit of anticipation when you know there's a new one coming. I remember when the when Big Finish first started doing. We're probably getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves here, but I'll I'll keep that for later on then. But no, it's it's, like, no, it's just uh, we 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 should have a general discussion about how the theme has changed over the years and yeah, put the discussion in that well, context. Well, yeah, we, I was just going to say. I remember like when Big Finish started doing the the Eighth Doctor stories, and there was you know an article in Mojo with David Arnold, and, and he mentioned casually that he'd just done a new version of the the Doctor Who theme, and that was that was a big part of the excitement. It was when the the mid late kicked in, and the, the end credits, and part four of um Storm Warning. It was just like, oh yes, here we go. Doesn't I mean when the when the McGann movie was on TV and the theme kicked in at the start, that was the, the thing that really brought it home. It was really happening. There was something about the sixties and seventies that produced some amazing really memorable earworm tv themes that and maybe it's because i just don't watch much as much television as i used to well i do though but it's all kind of streaming services but i haven't noticed the same kind of immediately uh, inventive and memorable themes that you used to get in the 60s and 70s i'm thinking of like the avengers and doctor Mm. who like seven time slip you know, there, there were some terrific um, themes. And I think maybe nowadays, maybe producers have just lost the, the knack of producing stuff that's really as memorable as that. Or maybe it's just an age thing, which is probably more likely. No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I always make jokes at my own expense that I was really late at getting into to music, um, you know, which kind of is maybe a surprise given, you know, some of the jobs that I've had for the last 20, in the last 20 odd years. But, you know, for years, the only music that I listened to was TV themes before, you know, before like kind of 
uh, you know, I start, eventually started buying, buying a bit more, a few more singles and stuff. But I mean, think about stuff like, you know, we mentioned Thunderbirds, but the, um, think about the Vandervalk theme music. That's right. Because, you know, Vandervalk's just been relaunched Genius. and I haven't watched any of it. But I remember what discussion I have seen about it is that are they using the proper theme music? And people are more concerned about the theme music than anything else. Um, Do you remember they are using the original Van der Valk music? Or not the original, but they'll be using a version of... A version of high level. Um, yeah. It's quite Do watered it. down, though, isn't it? I don't I know. I haven't heard it. Heard it. Have, you, have, you, have you seen it then, Kenny? I only watched to hear the theme tune. Um, <laughs> right. And he didn't, <laughs> no, sing, he, didn't sing, he didn't sing it, which I was very disappointed in. But when they, when they, when they brought back Hawaii Five O, it would have been unconscionable to bring it back without that amazing music. Yeah. I, I haven't I haven't seen the revived version. Did they use it? Of course they did. I mean, there'd oh, be no point in bringing it back without that yeah. music. That's so important. Well, huh? the, the music's the, the best thing about Hawaii Five. I remember like, very young catching bits of it occasionally. And what I did see the TV program, I remember just was crushingly boring compared yes, to you know how how exciting the theme music was. It's a, as you're right. It's, it's a big thing. I mean, like think of there's so many classics you know 60s and 70s probably a few into the 80s as well i mean there must be a reason as to why you know you don't get as memorable theme tunes anymore but you know think about all the big soap opera themes you know stuff like zed cars coronation street east enders you know they're all as you say earworms let's start off uh, the discussion proper with a reminder of how the theme actually sounded on the 23rd of november So that's pretty scary. That's pretty memorable, isn't it? It's so absolutely different, even to you know, you, the, the great themes that were going around at the time. The Jerry Anderson series, the ITC series that were to follow in the, the years around this. It's just so completely different. It's not, I think because it's not played on any obvious instrument, because you could listen to that and go, what on earth is that? Yeah. And it's obviously, it's, it's, there's nothing to latch onto. That's what makes it so completely different and haunting and and as you can imagine, it would be very scary for kids. Yeah, I mean, I've heard all sorts of anecdotal evidence about, you know, older cousins or other people's aunties, aunties and uncles that, you know, the theme music used to put the, you know, the fear up them. It's, um, it's yeah, it's unlike absolutely anything else. It really is. It's, it's quite, um, I'm told that structurally it's quite similar to Steptoe Son and it's got, a, you know, another one grainer theme and it's got a bit of a preamble before it kicks in and all, but it's, it's the realisation of it, absolutely. And I think, um, We've all got our favourites, but I think we have to admit that the original th- probably still is just, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. You know, it's, it's absolutely unique. What was the, the first time, you guys will know this more than I do, because frankly, you have no lives. What was the, <laughs> what was the first time that, the, not, the, not the visuals, but what was the first time that the music really had a, a noticeable change? It was, um, well, the first, it was kind of simultaneous. They changed the, the titles. I think it's the Macro Terror. Was the first Trouton titles with um with his face with, with his face, but they they changed the music as well. They kind of speed it up slightly, and that's when they added the sort of 
what I always call the dust and sparkle. Do you okay, know what I mean by that? Let's let's have a listen to it now. It just it just fleshes it out a little bit more, refines it. It sounds a little bit less, you know. Um, oh God, I don't I do not want to say anything that's you know, you know, nasty it or it more towards Celia Derbyshire. You know, it's it's a, a little more, just a little bit more polished. But the the kind of there's a few more new sounds in it, and of course they more or less keep it the same after that up until the end of the Tom Baker period. But then when it when it gets into Spearhead from Space, there's that they. Instead of just fading out the title sequence, they have the little sort of you know little looped bit where they they put the the opening credit, you know the, the story title and the, the writer credit and stuff over, and um and the other thing of course that that kicked in, um in the Perry era was when they add the sting to the closing titles, you know to emphasise the cliffhanger, which is again it's is massive, it's such a big impact, rather than just the you know what they used to do was. In the Hartnell stuff, an actor would hold a close-up or there'd be something going on and they would fade the credits and music in over it. The, the sting, you know, the which kicked in. The view moment. Is, is just, like, is amazing. And that's, that's, that's as much, I think, of a, you know, became as much a part of the, the identity or the, the core of the theme music than anything else, I think. Let's, let's remind ourselves how that worked. And then what was the biggest change after that? Once again, talking about the music rather than the visuals. We're moving into the 1980s when John Nathan Turner decided to go for Lock, Stock and Barrel Vamp of the series, changed the titles from those lovely Bernard Lodge ones into the Starfield, and then got Peter Hill of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop to come up with an all-electronic version of the theme as well, which, of course, we can watch being brought to life on the DVD or Blu-ray of The Leisure Hive. What do you think of that uh, version? I think it's fantastic. I mean, but things th- thing I must ask though, Tom, I was like seven when that when that change happened, and I it registered on me, but didn't really I didn't really have any strong sort of opinions because of you know I was just a wee boy. How did you feel at the? Because you know you're that little bit older than us, so you'd you'd have known that. Yeah, oddly enough, right. This was at the start of Maker's last series. I had a small uh, crisis of faith, and. Ah. Because I was so into Star Wars, I was very keen to watch Buck Rogers in the 20th century, 25th century um, right. instead of Doctor Who, because ITV put it opposite Doctor Who on a Saturday. Now this, yeah. I freely admit, and I realised my, my error very soon after this, because Buck Rogers was terrible. <laughs> um, and, and Doctor Who at that point was actually, and I have to say, probably 
despite John Nathan Turner. But anyway, Doctor Who was actually on, was running some really strong stories at that time, Leisure Hive. But 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 the changes that were being made to everything at the time, whether it was Blake Seven the year earlier, or, uh, it was all to, it was all Star Wars motivated. It was Bad Star Galactic yeah. motivated. You know, yeah. uh, um, I, I suspect strongly that the change to the visuals and as well as the music, it was all about realizing and try to sate the appetite of, of science fiction fans who wanted something more modern and wanted something more up to date. Yeah. What, what has changed that particular time? It's interesting that the, the main thing that the season 18 titles, you know, for Tom's last series, and they basically use the same design for Until the End of Colin Baker, um, is it puts such an emphasis on space. Yeah. That, because previously, you know, it, it was... It was either the weird howl around titles or the, or the obvious time tunnel sort yeah. of thing, and it's that's that I think that echoes what you're saying because the preoccupation was Star Wars, anything, you know, because obviously in the wake of Star Wars, not only did you get Battle of Star Galactica, but it was it was enough of an impetus for them to to finally revive Star Trek, yeah. you know, as movies after talking about that for so long. And it's and it's really interesting because you know it got the titles got really really spacey, but you know, the programme was maybe slightly less spacey than it had been during the Graham Williams stories, which were obviously very quickly influenced by Star Wars, but still kept the, the Bernard Lodge titles. We were. Um, I, I love the Peter Howell version. It's, it takes, even now, hearing it takes me right back to being, you know, being like eight, nine, ten years old and the first becoming a fan. I, I love it. Something that Buck Rogers in the 25th century did have that Doctor Who didn't, though. Well, I agree. I knew you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say... <laughs> Uh, what's the what's the the little robot guy called? Tweaky, Tweaky, yeah. Kane Nine should have blasted him. Now the interesting thing about Buck Rogers though is Buck Rogers had a brilliant theme song as well. And if you look at the closing titles of Buck Rogers in twenty fifth century and compare them to you know the early Doctor Who ones, they're not too far apart. It just it just sort of shows where everyone's mind was. What was was there were there any more major changes to the actual audio between uh, before the end of the classic series in eighty nine? Yeah, well, there's the there's the, the version for the Trial of a Time Lord by Dominic Glynn, which, compared to the Peter Howell version, it's not quite as dynamic. I have a fondness for it now. It's developed over the years. Again, it's a bit, it's, it's, it's a nostalgic thing, and Big Finish have used it for the Sixth Doctor quite a lot, and it really, it's, it's really helped to define him sort of thing a little. But um, what do you, what do you think of the, the Dominic Glynn version, Ken? Before we before you answer that, Kenny, let's listen to it. It's a strange one because it's been, it's one, because it sounds on TV, it was broadcast in mono, but when it was released on a record, it was in stereo. So effectively, you're getting two different versions of it. And then, of course, he's remixed it again for the special edition Terror of the Verboids on the Trial of a Time Lord Blu-ray box set. So effectively, you're talking about three versions that are technically similar, but they're all rather different. And I do prefer the TV slightly more mono version which doesn't get used as often. Um, Big Finish obviously use the stereo version, and why shouldn't they? But I just, there's something, 
if I had to pick a favourite of those ones, I would go with the mono, slightly, slightly more tackety sounding. I don't mean tacky. It's, it's, it's got more tackety tack, tackety tack sound to it. And then the final one, of course, is the the very the Kef, Kef McCulloch version that was used over the Sylvester McCoy titles, which <laughs> is very of its time, put it that way, I think. At least said soon as mended, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's have a listen to it. That's great, do you? Well, again, as I've often said, man, the scepticism and the strain dripping from your voice there, mate, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so you know, it's very of its time, and I, I associate it with 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 that doctor. And you know, I remember like Same here. first, I know, and it's but you know that that's that's these are happy associations for me. All right. <laughs> you know, it's great when the, it's. I mean, I love the bombacity of it. I love the fact the titles go on for ages, so they've got time for the TARDIS to come up and spin away and from the, use the middle. It's, it's. I mean, obviously, it's very dated. It sounds like you know, like a Pet Shop Boys B side more than anything else. But it, and it, I think out of all of them, if I'm being strictly honest, out of all the arrangements, it's probably the most of its time and probably the one that's aged the worst. But um, you know, I definitely have an affection for it. The next iteration then was. The TV movie in 1996. Let's listen to it just now. I first heard this one at the Monopticon convention in spring 1996 before it had been broadcast. Philip Segal, the producer, had come over and was talking about the movie, showed a few production stills and played a version of the theme by John Debney, who's of course gone on to score quite a lot of famous films, although none spring to mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, this is our synthesized version of it, but we're going to have a full orchestra playing it. Uh, so when the TV movie went out on the 22nd of, no, that was it, it was 27th of May, 96, it was exactly the same version because they'd overspent on Paul McGann's wig, and that's not a joke. <laughs> I'd, I'd love a shot of Paul McGann's wig. It was a wig. Yeah, do you know, he, wore, he had a wig, do you know that? Yeah, I'm joking. Um, what's his face? Phillips, Philip, not Philip Gallagher, got directed it. His wife had to shave her head, allegedly. Okay, moving on. No, but anyway, no, I quite, I quite like the, um, the orchestral version. But again, it's very, it's not really Doctor Who-y because it's, it's clearly, it's, it's so orchestrated. 
you know, there's there's not no elements of the original in it at all. And it's it's nice that it kicks off with the middle eight. I always like that, but it's very dynamic. It's, I think it's probably the most forgettable just by because it's 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 by the traditional sort of music. You know, Kenny was saying how the the Delia Derbyshire original still sounds so good because there's no actual you know instrumentation in it at all. And I think the McGann one suffers because it is just it's just too ordinary. It is just normal instrumentation. Now, between that and the return to TV screens of Doctor Who in 2005, we had Big Finish um, come onto the scene. Kenny, tell us, uh, tell us briefly what Big Finish did with the theme when they started producing Audio Adventures in 1999. Well, originally they began by using the Tom Baker arrangement of the theme, which, um, which effectively ran for quite a while until they started using the Pertwee version with the stuttered beginning, um, which just sort of just has a, an extra couple of beats at the start before the theme kicks in. Um, but then for the McGann audios, they wanted to do something new and something different. So Gary Russell, the producer at the time, was interviewing David Arnold as he was a big fan of his. Um, obviously, the guy who'd done the scores for Godzilla, the Bond films of the time, like Tomorrow Never Dies, um, and just so many. And he'd also done quite a few he did quite a few chart hits like Play Dead with Bjork. And he was interviewing him and he just happened to mention that his favourite theme along with Thunderbirds was Doctor Who. So Gary asked him if he'd be interested in doing a version for the McGann audios. And I think it was via Mark Gatiss uh, who fixed it all up. And lo and behold, we got a brand new version. Which sounds like this. Did you? Clang. Well, it was a weird thing, actually. I was I was uh, an MP at the time, and I was having dinner, oddly enough, with Stephen Moffat and, and his wife, Sue. Uh, we were having a drink here at the terrace after dinner. And suddenly, there had been a, re- a, a reception at number 10, and I think Gordon was Prime Minister at the time. And suddenly onto the terrace came a few of my friends who'd been at the terrace, uh, MP friends, who had been at the, the reception. And with them were David Arnold and Mike Batt, you know, the... the Mike Batt, fantastic. Wombles and, and uh, you know, uh, eyes and you know, an amazing number of, of, of songs. Anyway, he turned up with David Arnold and a few of my mates. And it turned out that, I mean, Stephen spent the, the evening talking about Sherlock, which hadn't been shown at the time. Um, and David Arnold turned up and Stephen said, oh, David Arnold's writing the music, I meant to tell you. So <laughs> David came over and a lot of us sat there just for the rest of the night. It was a great evening. 
I have to say, Tom, out of all the people, the, the famous names that you've mentioned that you've encountered, I'm, you know, given your career and all that sort of stuff, the most that's, that has impressed me the most is you've, you've met Mike Bat. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I kind of annoyed him, I think, because um, I told him that when I was in third year at school, Bright Eyes was my, just a track that I listened to a million times over. It was my favourite bit of music at that time. And he said, that makes me feel very old. What year was that? I said, 1979. <laughs> and uh, so he, he he felt incredibly old at that point. Uh, Dave, that might have impressed you, but just wait till next episode when I may have a surprise for you. Oh, excellent. All right. Okay. Interesting. So where does that take us to? Up to 2005, to Rose, and Indeed. to this. Once again, using my privilege as an MP, I, I was invited to a preview of this. So I, I heard this just a few weeks before it was actually broadcast. And I was just so pleased that, you know, I, I, once again, there was never any prospect they were going to use a different bit of music, but I was so glad that it was recognisably Doctor Who. Because it's, it's the, um, I believe it's the original Delia stuff with just a few orchestrations over the top, just to kind of maybe modernise it and liven it up a bit. But it's... It was great. It was just part. It was just part of the perfect package, wasn't it? I think it's a great version. It's um, it gives you a, a very much as you know. Here's the original elements, and it's been complemented. It's not been detracted from. You know, as if it's only like some drunks up an alleyway banging in drums at three o'clock or bin lids at three o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, for me, it's a it's a great it's a great version. It very much is of the time with a bit of uh, added synth to it. And that was. That was stayed with us, didn't it? All the way through uh, Eggleston and Tennant's, um, yeah, you know, presence on the show uh, and, and until so, Voyage of the Damned. Yeah, it got a bit of a, it got a bit of a polishing kind of. I always call it the kind of glam rock version. It got well, let's of, let's have a quick listen to that. It's not a radical reworking, but again, I think it's a symptom of the the confidence that they had in the program at the time. It was like you know, let's you know, it's it's a bit more ballsy. It's like yeah, we know what we're doing. We're we're on a, we're on a roll, and um, I it was terrific. It's just a nicely polished and very significant thing. Um, was that the closing titles when Eccleston was the Doctor didn't have the the middle eight section, but they reinstated that when um when when Tennant took over, and that was a, another nice little sort of gradual sort of shift. 
Uh, to those of us who are not musos, can you tell us what the middle eight means? Well, of course, it's just the, it's that little section in the tune where it goes off on a slight tangent. So it's the do, 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 do moment. I hadn't even noticed that they'd missed that out. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a similar sort of thing to the way that Echoes was credited as Doctor Who, but Davy was credited as the Doctor. Yeah. Just a little thing, but I. So the next major change came in season five. Disco Doctor. I was not a big fan of this, I must admit. Um, first time I heard it, I'd, I'd actually been doing a shift at the Sunday Post and came home and uh, Jen had recorded it for me on Sky Plus and thought, oh, <laughs> wasn't that impressed by the theme at all. I thought it was quite underwhelming given the bombastic guitars we'd had for the end of Tenant's time. And I was really quite underwhelmed by it and the titles. But, you know, you get used to it and it becomes the Matt theme. I quite, I quite liked it. I had a similar sort of reaction at first. It, it grew on me very quickly. I liked the sort of, the kind of almost sort of false start with the bomb, bomb, bomb. It was. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. And it's as Kenny says, it's the Matt theme. Um, the titles were shocking. I hated the titles. Well, we'll come on to that later. Well, but well, yeah. Well, obviously, we'll come back to that. It was probably the weakest title. It was probably no history of the thing. But, but I, Ken, I'm right in thinking because I can't really remember they changed. They changed the, the theme music with the, the titles of Matt, Matt Smith's last few episodes, didn't they? That's right. They changed it for season 7B with the introduction of Clara. Um, it's, it's just got a few a few little extra bits mixed in just to give it a bit more depth and oomph to it. Um, and I think there's also um, an SOS dotted in there as well. It's not, it's not a significant enough change uh, to make me go, woo, I love that even more, because I didn't really. <laughs> Let's listen to it then. Then what was the next major change after that? And then it's time for Lord Capaldi's theme. I like it. Is that it? That, that's, that's your I know. thoughtful analysis. I like it. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who don't. Ah, right. What are their problems with it? Um, there's no problem with it. They're 
the ones who've got the problem, quite frankly. Well, that's what and I meant. What's I the think, problem with it? I think that they think it's too screechy and just it's not interesting or different enough. But for me, it's got some nice 50s sci-fi vibes to it. Um, you know, giving that Telstar kind of approach from the era when Peter Capaldi and indeed Stephen Moffat would have been growing up. Yeah, strongly agree. I agree with everything Kenny's saying. I'm, I'm, I'm sat here nodding vigorously. It's yeah. I'm, I was always surprised to sort of to hear that people didn't like the. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so someone else didn't like it either. Is that, is that... I'm going to close the window. Hang on. I thought that was somebody that Davy had been keeping in his closet or something. Who just come? She's got. You just come to consciousness after the chloroform. <laughs> the chloroform is what's in your Bonnie Langford. I've always, I was always surprised that people didn't like the, the Capaldi opening stuff. I thought it was great. I mean, it, it's, it's Kenny nails it there and he says it is very that sort of Telstar from the Matt Smith ver- version, which was quite you know orchestral. It, it kind of it felt to me like it was kind of going back to its roots a little bit. I really liked the Capaldi theme. Did Capaldi keep the same theme right up until his, uh, his last year? He did, but there were added jingle bells for the Christmas episodes. Oh, God, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and rightly so. What is your personal favourite all the way from 63 down to 2017? I, I think I've got a huge fondness for the, the sort of um, 60s and 70s Dustin Sparkle version. But I think my favourite, just because it's so dynamic, is probably the Peter Howell version. It is a good choice. I mean, it is iconic. And it's because remember at the time there was a lot of, oh God, it's not the original version. Why do they use it? But you listen to it now and it is a bit of a modern classic. Well, I'm going to say modern 1980. It is a bit of a modern classic when you listen to how when Peter Howell created it and you watch him do it on, as I mentioned earlier, the clip in the Blu ray. Um, I think it's a fantastic version of the theme. And of course, a teeny little bit of it sneaks into the guitared up tenant theme as well. But see if you can find it. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, as a as a great fan of nostalgia, I'm afraid I just have to go for my my go-to version and all these things is uh, the, the, the John Pertwee era. Um, just because it still sends shivers up my spine whenever I hear it, I just remember the thrill and of and the the you know the frightening tones of it when I was watching it back in the in the early seventies. So, if I had to listen to one version of it, that would be the one I would listen to. I agree with that. I mean, there is a, a lot of nostalgia to that version for me. Obviously, it would be the the later Tom theme, but I have to admit, I do really really like the David Arnold version. I think it's I think. It, probably describe you could describe it as industrial i think it's quite a a murky and moody version it's not an in-your-face obvious one and i really like it i mean as regular listeners will probably know i do have a a real love of synthetic or synthesized music i should say um i do my synth synth pop and such like and for me the david arnold version is very much um very much there for me in the early 2000s. So you'll, it. you'll have been sad about the death of the Kraftwerk guy. I was. I was what a pioneer, but um, leaves behind a good legacy, which um, is all you can ask for, really, if you want to be go out and make sure you're remembered in a good way, and he certainly is. Let's talk about title sequences. I mean, they have changed far more than the music, I would say, because the music is still recognisable, even today back to 63, but the yeah. title sequences bear no resemblance to anything that we saw back in the screens in the 60s and 70s, is that right? 
absolutely. The whole the whole process of the way they've been created has, has changed so many ways. The original was, as we all know, was the the visual howl around, sort of recorded and, and treated, and then you know they, they added shapes to it and used mirror effects to kind of give it symmetry. And then the the Bernard Lodge slit, slit scan stuff, which is obviously influenced by two thousand and one, which are still you know I could. I could watch them in a loop for days and never get bored. Which, 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 which is that you're talking about? The versions that were introduced with um, John D's last series, but used throughout, you know, the most of Tom Baker's, but yeah. you know, particularly Tom Baker's first set of titles. And then, um, you know, the, the Starfield stuff. And then the first computer-generated ones that were used when, um, for Sylvester's Doctor. And the, the, the approach has changed you know, throughout, and it's, there's, very little cons- there's very little consistency throughout them all. Let's take a quick run through them then, starting with the very beginning. Um, once again, you know, it perfectly complemented the music, didn't it? The image that you see on screen of, of vague nebulous shapes rising from the darkness. I mean, th- yeah. that was a perfect combination, wasn't it? Beautifully done. I mean, it's, a, it's ridiculously simple to, you know, to do those. Point a camera at a, you know, connect it to a monitor, and then you get these lovely pulsing shapes. And no one else had done it at that point. I mean, no one else had thought of doing it. Doctor was the first, I guess. Once again, a groundbreaker leading the way. It's yeah. it's something that's so simple but so effective, uh, which obviously they carried on doing for the Troughton and Pertwee titles to get more of these howl-around effects, um, control them, obviously mix them in with uh, the actors' faces when it came to Troughton and Pertwee years, which is fantastic. And as Dave mentioned, the Bernard Lodge, a slit scan process, which a rather, was, I, I don't know if any of you guys ever remember seeing this, there was a rather interesting article written about it in the 70s by a young fan explaining how they'd been made, I think he'd spoken to Bernard Lodge, a um, young lad by the name of Capaldi from Glasgow, <laughs> in a fanzine. I think you should just marry Peter Capaldi. <laughs> well, I could willingly change my lifestyle for that man. <laughs> you know, the, thing I was, the thing I wanted to say was, one thing we should we should maybe mention is that the original title sequence was actually used towards the end of an earthly child. You know they played they played it in over the actors. You know, and I think I like the suggestion. There's always been that suggestion that that's what the TARDIS travels through. That's part of the the whole TARDIS mechanism, if you like. You know, as Tom says, the clouds just coming out of nowhere. It's it's hypnotic. It's 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 you know it looks like clouds, but at the same time you know it's not clouds. It's that weird sort of juxtaposition of the weird and familiar that Doctor Who does really well and I'm aware of how cliche I sound when I say that but they're just hypnotic they really are I think the best ones are none of the leading actors images appeared in third sequences until Patrick Troughton as we said earlier on Uh, but when was the first major visual change to the opening titles I think Dave mentioned earlier the macro terror yeah yeah, the same one where Troughton's visage appears. That's the first one that yeah majorly different yeah. from anything that had gone before. Yeah, complete a complete mm-hmm. revamp on the, the 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 polished, you know, slightly rearranged version of the theme music as well. Yeah. And they stay constant. Oh, the mu- not not the application of the music. Sometimes they they use the you know a slightly different arrangement. But the, the title stayed there until um, the end of Troughton. But one thing one thing that Troughton's sort of stuff did. It was pretty unique was they quite often had little mini title sequences sort of after the main opening graphics you know i'm thinking of stuff like the space pirates and the seeds of death and the ice warriors where you got little sort of um and the war games as well actually but you know little sort of sound and, and light sort of shows that were unique to that particular story and gave you the, the story title and the, art, the episode title and the author sort of name and all that they, that was always 
some always quite liked about the trout and stuff. You know, they kind of they're making a bit more of an effort there to make it a bit more interesting. And nothing was more interesting than colour, because in 1970, first colour titles with uh, Pertwee's first um, adventure. And if you look at it now, I mean, and you, we are now the privilege of, of contrasting the, you know, the sequences just a few months earlier with Spearhead from Space, and the, the contrast is remarkable. I mean, it really was a new era. Did you see Spearhead in colour when it went out, Tom? Yes. Right. Cool. Yeah, because we that I've, I've, one of the first families in the scheme to get a colour telly. Because I've, I've heard all sorts of anecdotal stuff about people that you know didn't notice the CSO lines because they were watching John Pertwee stories in black and white. So, oh, see, oh yeah. cool. For Kenny and I, we wouldn't have seen the, the first Pertwee titles and the Trouton titles until the Five Faces of Doctor Who repeats. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when Dave was coming on board, and I remember really clearly how exciting it was seeing the different versions of the theme, you know, of the theme music and the opening titles, you know, with each, you know, as each week went past. Because I remember, like, being so... It, it was, you know, you were used to seeing the Doctor's face in the titles because, you know, Tom's face popped up after the TARDIS vanished or, as you know, flying through space, whatever. But it was so cool seeing um, Troughton's face sort of bleeding out and then John Pertwee's... And I've said many times that the novelty of seeing John Pertwee as the Doctor when you were used to him as Wazzle Gummidge was, yeah. was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. I remember asking either my parents or my brothers, I can't remember, you know, what the opening sequence with Pertwee actually represented. What was I actually looking at? And I remember the, the ah. that I was given, and it was totally made up, but I, it stayed with me. Um, the answer was, that was the doctor's brain pattern. And I don't know <laughs> where that came from, but it's kind of genius. Because yeah. I, I, yeah. you were talking earlier on, Dave, about it went from weird and um, weird vague shapes in the darkness to in the 1980s being all very space oriented and for me that contrast meant that we stopped looking at the doctor and what was going on in his mind and moved to a position where we were looking at what he was doing in space outside of his mind and for me yeah. that, was, that was the psychological change if you like which is maybe why i didn't particularly like like that change, but anyway, that was for me. That was what the brain. That's what that pattern was. That was that was John Pertwee's brain pattern. We were looking. Well, see, of course it was because there's a bit at the end of Day of the Dalek, one of the episodes of Day of the Daleks, when the Daleks are interrogating them, and you know the Doctor's brain is hooked up to the screen, and they, you know, they play the title sequence with the photographs of Bill Hartnell and Patrick Trouton over it, and it's being right. used there to represent his brain, you know, his yeah, mind, yeah. and also um, there's that bit in the Deadly Assassin when the Doctor is going into the Matrix and they play a little snippet of the title sequence. So maybe you're right. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe you know, your mum or dad or your brother or whoever it was, maybe they knew better than anyone else. Yeah, well, it worked for me anyway. I was, I was like the, per the, the first Pertwee ones because it, it looks like kind of, I remember when I first saw them in 1981, they, they looked like weird. I, in my head, I, I, I sort of figured them as being sort of, you know, weird outer space flames. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because they had that sort of ripple. They're just, I mean, Bernard Lodge was a genius. He really, really Certainly was. otherworldly, and that's exactly what you wanted for that kind of show. Absolutely. Because when those, when those um, old BBC videos started coming out at first, I remember, you know, I'd watch the story, but then I'd just watch the titles over and over again and just be mesmerised <laughs> by them. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, um, there's, I'm not sure who it was that said it, but there's, there's quite a prominent sort of Doctor Who fan quote when someone said there's two types of Doctor Who fan. There's the, the fan when they're watching the closing credits 
they're either reading the credits or watching the time tunnel. And whichever type you are, say, say, you know, it says a bit more about you, you know. I would be reading the credits. I'd be watching the time tunnel. Then we get the full length Doctor in John Pertwee's penultimate season. And that's yes. when change it. We don't get the brainwaves anymore. We get the time vortex, as we know it. And uh, we get a full-length Doctor for the first time, which I, I still, I, it still strikes me as odd. I was watching uh, Dinosaur Invasion recently, and, and it does strike me as odd to have the full-length. I don't know why. I just You're used to seeing the Doctor either just in a close-up of his face, um, and then suddenly we've got, you know, all six feet of of, of John Pertwee. You guys he looks like he's got stumpy legs. Yeah. <laughs> realise. Like, it looks like he's got stumpy legs and a curtailed cloak. It, it looks too much like a cardboard cutout. Yeah. So it, look, it looks too much like his feet have been drawn on. It, it always kind of looks kind of weird. If they just kept, I think, the head and shoulders, um, it would have been just, it would have been maybe a bit more effective. Um, but those, again, those titles are, they're, they're like nothing else. They must have been mind-blowing when they first went out. Well, Philip Hinchcliffe obviously agreed with you because when we got into the next season, uh, we keep the same background, you know, with the uh, the vortex, but we only get Tom Baker's head and shoulders, which is a big improvement, I think. The fourth Doctor's titles are absolutely iconic. There, there's no getting away from the fact that's the ones that people tend to remember with the diamond logo. So, yeah, they're, I'd say they're the ones that, probably are the most commonly associated with the show. Here's here's a thing that, uh, that that's just popped up in my brain. Do you remember um remember Rod Hull and Emu? I'm yes. afraid of Yeah, they they did a Doctor Who pastiche for some dustbins. Um the full thing isn't on YouTube sadly but bits of it are and the thing that all the thing that just popped in my head was that the way I, I remember watching the Rod Hull version and the Doctor Emu logo was in red and I remember at the age of three or four or ever sort of thinking Oh, that's wrong. It should be blue, and that's how it was, I was always able to keep in my head that over that sense of blue in the Tom Baker open title. It was once you know, we we were into the eighties, and you know it was the Starfield, and before we we could you know revisit old stories, it was always sort of no, they were blue. And then getting Revenge of the Cybermen for Christmas and being able to watch them again. Which is, I bet you wrote to the BBC to ask if the emu was canon. <laughs> I probably I didn't. I was you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Deadly Dustbins were terrifying though because that, that was before I'd even seen a Copper Dalek story Okay, we have to pull a veil over that one <laughs> The next uh, visual change was um, Tom Baker's last season, season 18, is that correct? Yep. yep, the Starfield which obviously carried on through the Davison years and then into Colin Baker where yeah. they just added some shimmering colours over the top of it. Yeah, I think I think they made a real effort when it got to the Colin Baker ones to, to make it a bit more time tunnelly. They kind of I think don't know if they put it through a prism or something, but they, you know they added a bit of colour just to take it slightly away from the, the forced out of space thing. Again, it's the um I really like always like the Davidson ones, you know, with that sort of Venetian blind effect as his face sort of like, you know, filtered in. That was always really cool. So next we've got the Sylvester McCoy titles, which were the first computer generated ones in the series history. And we Tom, did, you're not a fan of them, are they? No, we did talk about these when we discussed Time in the Rani a while back. Um, I think I, I totally accept what Davey said at the time that, you know, in 1987, you know, that was the cutting edge of modern technology. I think they have aged worse than any of the other uh, opening uh, title sequences. I think if you look at, compare it to the classic John Pertwee uh, brain scan uh, visuals from 1970 and that hasn't aged nearly as badly as the 
there's a, you know the kind of silly looking asteroids flying out of the screen and the the, the galaxy uh, model I, I just think it looks really bad now I accept that at the time people must have gone wow that's amazing oh yeah we did it was it was terrific I, I mean I've, I think I've told you before that the um the night that Time of the Rani part one went out we just sat and watched the opening titles and repeat Alice and I we just sat because it was just like it was amazing but you're right they're, they're very all the time and it's the sort of thing you, nothing you know cutting edge becomes passe very quickly you know and it's um the very over time definitely well i approve your judgment davy actually because if you had a if you had time in the rani on on video in 1986-87 then the best part of it is the opening sequence <laughs> that's the bit you should watch over and over again <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you another bit of the opening sequence uh, from, from 87 onwards that I cannot stand? Oh, it makes me angry I, every time I, I see it. You I know what I'm going to say, don't you? I think I know what you're going to say, mate. I've got an idea. You don't like watching Scottish men winking, do you? I really don't. I think it's the most appalling thing. I think it's just awful. Um, that's when, I mean, that, that is really when it jumped the shark for me. Um, you know, you don't want, you want your doctor to be mysterious and not threatening and such, but you want him to be a slightly dark because that comes with mysterious. You don't want him winking at you like a very dodgy uncle at a wedding. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I remember at the time, you know, being painfully aware that Doctor Who was as uncool as it, as it had ever been and that I was probably yeah. the only person in my entire school that watched it. I remember sort of thinking, that's not going to do my case any favours whatsoever. <laughs> But, you know, it, it is what it is. We were stuck with that until we got to... Well, we'll, we'll, go, we'll skim over um, the, the movie, I suppose, because I suppose it did have title sequences, but it, it, it wasn't part of a series, so I don't know what you want to say about that. It was actually very very similar to Sylvester's titles. You know, you got, it was like a cross between... Sylvester's titles and the and the Tom the, the Tom Baker ones it was a bit of a mashup of all of them because you had asteroids flying around you had the TARDIS yeah. flying around you had time tunnel effects it was kind of um a bit of a greatest hits I think it's, it's amazing how much technology had improved that sort of effect though in just what seven years yeah well, I think I think like the um the Oliver Elms one the CAL video they, that was a company that was doing a lot of stuff for the BBC because they did the news title sequences running at the same time as well and it was just um. I think it was probably meant to look computer gamery than anything else, rather than trying to be kind of ethereal. I think they were definitely trying to make it look, you know, a bit a bit comic booky and a bit pulpy. Yeah. Did, did they succeed? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, it was. It did did the job at the time. I think. And then came two thousand five, and we had the opening sequence for uh, Rose. I mean, what do you think of the logo for Doctor Who for those first few years from two thousand five? The kind of cat's eye. Not a big. I'm not a big fan. I regard it as being like a taxi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't like it either. It, it was so... I mean, it, it, it just the way it swung around, it, it never really seemed to fit. I mean, it was just very... just unremarkable. It was, I thought it was quite memorable, actually, but I agree it wasn't... it didn't look like a Doctor Who logo. I was, I was, I was happy when they moved with, uh, with Matt's era to the more chunky... Uh, mm. Doctor Who uh, font, um, but what about the rest of the, the visual sequences from two thousand five? Very much a homage to the Tom Baker stuff, isn't it? With the time tunnel and yeah, yeah. 
yeah, obviously this time we get to see the TARDIS actually going through it. Um, is it red going into the future, blue going into the past? So something like that, yeah. Quite a nice, a nice idea. And of course, the the revived series, you know, we got the the actors' names flashing up, which was a departure. You know, we didn't get that back in the day. Oh yeah, good point. Um, you know, so that's that was quite that was probably an indicator of how things had changed. But it was um. I'm, I'm, I was always a bit kind of underwhelmed by the the title sequence and the type and the the um the tenant and echo sort of stuff. You know, it was just a bit. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they used this. They used the imagery in the, in the actual episodes quite often. So there was maybe a sense that they they didn't have that quite sort of detached from the narrative sort of idea. You know, sort of feeling that the the early ones had. It would be nice if they'd done something like the slit scan or like the original sort of howl around ones. What was the first of the new who to feature the Doctor's face? Was it Matt Smith? Matt's season 7B version. Right. With the more reddish colour and his face comes in there. Yeah. I wonder why they had resisted that up to that point. Because it seems an obvious thing to do. I've no idea. I mean, I've, I've, I remember rumours before Matt started, Matt, Matt's episode started, that they were that his face was going to pop up. And, um, and then, you know, I have to say, I think the first set of titles that Matt Smith, you know, they're equally, they're equally as underwhelming and in some ways I think a little bit more underwhelming than the Echoes and Tenant ones. They were just sort of, you know, some foggy clouds with some lightning and the, and the, they were so, is rudimentary the right word? They were just so, just so bland. I really liked Matt's second, you know, a lot of the, the ones which they used for what, eight or nine episodes before he left. Um, I liked them because it, they, it made, it, they seemed to be a little bit more imaginative I really enjoyed. I really liked the the graphic, the, the images from the from Matt's first season. Actually, I I, I love I love the clouds, and I love the lightning. And I just thought it, there was a kind of a narrative to that. I just thought the clouds represented the time vortex in the same way that Tom Baker one had had done, and the lightning strikes was just what happens to the Doctor and his crew in every adventure. <laughs> get struck by external forces and have to cope with it. I, just, I, I loved it. I, I liked it more than I liked the music at that time. Interesting. I, I was the other way around. I liked the music, but wasn't too fond of the visuals. Although having said that, the, the music was actually the first one that I actually bought off iTunes. <laughs> just really? Oh, really? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, I liked, the, I liked the, you know, the, as I say, the sort of ramping up bit at the start. Yeah, no, that's the bit I liked. I was cracking. Yeah. I'm, again, I remember. In fact, I've got I've got it lying about somewhere. There was um I remember reading an article on the paper about the BBC getting complaints. They didn't like the the map the first map version of the theme. I thought it was. I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can find that and I'll stick it on the on the Twitter or on the Facebook or on the website. Yeah, because it's sort of relevant to what we're we're talking about. I'll see if I can dig that out. So we've covered. Is that we've covered? I think all of Matt's season. Are we on to Capaldi now? Yes, with the wonderful clocks and travels. Yeah. This is a show about time travel. Yeah. Now, did you any, any of you see the the one that that was based on the the amateur version? Yes, by Billy Hanshaw. Yes, I mean I remember what looking at that, thinking that's terrific. I wish the BBC would copy that. Mm. But when they did, I got a bit annoyed with it after after a little while. I didn't particularly like it. Um, I think I can't remember what my problem was. But I thought it was too busy. I thought it was far too, the emphasis was far too much on time travel rather than on just general you know, space travel. I, I, I just, I think it was just a bit too busy. I didn't, 
I didn't particularly like it. It was a bit of a relief. I remember kind of breathing a sigh of relief that I was out of the clocks when we were actually in the adventure. We didn't have to think of the clocks. <laughs> no, I really liked, yeah, the, you know, everybody knows I'm not the biggest fan of, of that era, but the, um, I, I liked titles. I always liked them because um, they had, as Kenny said earlier on, they had that sort of, that, the return of that sort of ethereal sort of quality, the, um, the Telstar quality. And I think we were long overdue having, you know, clock faces and stuff. It's, you know, I've seen sort of a lot of criticism of it. People thought it was going to be a bit too simplified. But, um, but why not? This is a show about time. Did Capaldi have the same sequence all the way through? Or the Christmas episodes oh, where they brought in some snow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> David, come on, you're going to get visited by three ghosts if you don't watch yourself. <laughs> I know, I will. <laughs> bah humbug. The current title sequence and theme that's been used, I quite like them. There's, there's a there's a nice sort of organic sort of feel to it. It reminds me very much of the the old Tomorrow People opening titles. It used to scare me to death when I was very young. There's some. It's obvious that a lot of real work has gone into them, but they're kind of obscured by the amount of text that they put over them. It'd be really nice to see a clean version of them one day, maybe. But in these days, when you hardly get any extras on a on a DVD box set, it'll probably never happen. Lads, what do you think of the of the current um, theme arrangement and title sequence? Um, I've not seen any of them. <laughs> that's us for this latest episode please remember to follow us on twitter power of three pod and also to visit our facebook page where you can leave comments and suggestions about the subjects for future episodes and we also have a website where you can listen to this and all previous episodes of the show i think we're now at 24 guys 24 does it feel that long <laughs> brilliant wow so visit the Website at powerof3pod.com. So in the meantime, until the next one, uh, it's cheerio from me. It's bye-bye for me. Um, look after yourselves, everyone. Take care. Be safe. And from myself, Kenny, I'd, before I'd look forward, I'd like to say get well soon to our listener, Madison, who I know has got COVID-19. So you may cheer her up. So get well soon, Maddie. And goodbye, everybody else. Yep, get well soon, Madison. Yep, take care.